So today's passage is in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 3, 4, on page 986 in the Bibles around the room. Today's reading will be read in Spanish because one of our values is unity and diversity, and we believe that people from every nation and tongue have the same freedom to worship God. At the end of this reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, to which we will say, thanks be to God. We say this because we are thankful for the word that has been gifted to us. Así que no dejemos de dar gracias a Dios, porque al oír ustedes la palabra de Dios que les predicamos, la aceptaron no como palabra humana, sino como lo que realmente es, palabra de Dios, la cual actúa en ustedes los creyentes. Ustedes, hermanos, siguieron el ejemplo de la iglesia de Dios en Cristo Jesús, que está en Judea, ya que sufrieron a, la, a manos de sus compatriotas lo mismo que sufrieron aquellas iglesias a mano de los judíos. Estos mataron al Señor Jesús y a los profetas, y a nosotros nos expulsaron. No agradan a Dios y son hostiles a todos pues procuran impedir que prediquemos a los gentiles para que sean salvos. Así, en todo lo que hacen, llegan al colmo de su pecado. Pero el castigo de Dios vendrá sobre ellos en, todo, en toda severidad. Nosotros, hermanos, luego de estar separados de ustedes por algún tiempo, en lo físico, pero no en lo espiritual, con ferviente anhelo, hicimos todo lo humanamente posible por ir a verlos. Sí, deseábamos visitarlos. Yo mismo, Pablo, más de una vez intenté ir, pero Satanás nos los impidió. En resumidad, en resumidas cuentas, ¿cuál en, es nuestra esperanza, alegría o motivo de orgullo delante de nuestro Señor Jesús para cuando Él venga? ¿Quién más sino ustedes? Si ustedes son nuestro orgullo y alegría. Por tanto, cuando ya no podíamos soportarlo más, pensábamos que era mejor quedarnos solos en Atenas. Así que les enviamos a Timoteo, hermano nuestro y colaborador de Dios en el Evangelio de Cristo, con el fin de financiarlos y animarlos en la fe, para que nadie fuera perturbado por estos sufrimientos. Ustedes mismos saben que se nos destinó para esto. Pues cuando estábamos con ustedes, les advertimos que íbamos, a que íbamos a padecer sufrimiento. Y así sucedió. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you for this word. I ask that we can be like Paul, who was approved by God and walking worthy of him. We have been called by God into his kingdom and glory. May we not look past that, but stand in awe of God's mercy upon us. Bless Pastor Jim as he gives us the word today. May our minds and hearts be open to receive this message. We pray this all in your name. Amen. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay that with afflictions Jesus comes those back. who have you. He Jesus Christ is Lord. Good morning, everyone. 
My name is Jim, and for those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. And I just wanted to say that I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to be up here today to get into and hopefully learn through God's Word today with all of you. For those of you that call Living Stones home, it's just it's nice to see all the familiar faces out there. Um, I appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed your summer. And for those that are new here, I know it can be a little unnerving the first time, whether you're here just visiting with friends or family from another church, or if you're literally here for your first time in church, I know it can be a little off-putting and a little scary. I just want you to know it's not going to get too crazy. Pretty much what you've seen is about all you're going you're gonna to get. There's going to be some singing, maybe some clapping, a little bit of hand-waving, but, but it shouldn't get much worse, okay, so don't worry. I just want you to know that it's, our goal here is to, for us to gather here together and to go through God's Word. And we do this simply with the intent of glorifying God. And hopefully at the same time, we all learn together while we're doing it. So like we said, today we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3, verses 4. And for those of you that are new to the church, the big numbers in your Bible are going to be for the chapters, and the smaller numbers are going to annotate your verses that are in the Bibles. And we're going to be continuing along our theme of viral hope. And what we mean by this is... We hope to move the gospel forward in a similar fashion to videos on social media and how they spread out there. And we do this in the hope that we can touch not only every corner of the city of Sparks itself, but northern Nevada as well. So our topic today is going to be gospel suffering. Fun and exciting, right? Yeah. I think somehow I pulled the short straw on this one, but it is what it is. So, But suffering for the gospel, it's nothing new. And Paul knew this. And suffering for the gospel is not going to go away anytime soon. And we need, to, we need to accept that and we need to learn from it and we need to help teach others about it. We need to grow from it. Now, I'm not going to look for ways to, to try to teach you or tell you to be excited about this suffering. But some of the things that we are going to talk about are, I'm going to hit on five, five topics. And that is, suffering is going to be multifaceted. Suffering happens in and amongst our communities. Suffering equips us for the ministry. And yes, suffering is a battleground, and suffering is going to prepare us for more glory. This is the word of the Lord. We say this every week. We go through this every week. And we, I need to remember that, because otherwise, me just standing up here is some guy talking. That's all it is. It's regardless of my intentions, whether they're good or not. We need to remember that regardless, the power of the gospel is what gives it meaning. It's what gives it relevance. It's not as if I'm some used car salesman and I'm just trying to sell you a bill of goods that's going to get you off the lot, get you from point A to point B. Instead, it's the word of God who has no sin, who has no ulterior motives. The gospel is everlasting and it's alive. It was relevant when it was written, and it's just as relevant in today's society. The truth of the gospel is going to feel like it hurts sometimes. But one thing it's never going to do, it's never going to comfort you with a lie. Now man has, can, and will use our language for our own sinful gain. And in Proverbs 21:28, it tells us, A false witness will perish, but the word of man who hears will endure. And Paul knows this. 
He knows that the Thessalonians have not heard him, but they've heard the word of God. And he commends them for this. He states here in verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now we all hear statements differently, and our perceptions of what's being communicated is based on tone, inflection, it's based on our own preconceived ideas of whoever it is that's speaking or what the topic is that we're talking about. I mean, you just ask my wife, Emma, because she'll tell you when she talks, I am all ears. Right there? Yeah. But, but seriously, I mean, when we listen and we truly listen to the word of God, his word always proves true. He's a shield for all of us who are willing to take refuge in him. And it says in Proverbs 30, verse 5, that every word of God proves true. Now, does this mean there's not going to be suffering as long as we read and believe in the gospel? No, of course not, it doesn't. It's the exact opposite, actually. Our sin is always going to have an impact on ourselves as well as on those around us. Just as other sin is going to cause us to suffer, just as their own sin is going to cause them to suffer. However, if we remain true, then it's in the end that we were going to be delivered. And Paul knows. He, he knows that there's going to be suffering, and he talks about it in verses 14 through 16, where he says, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Yeah, it's, we need to remember that there's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering for the gospel. But it's how we respond to it that is paramount. I'm sure none of us are strangers to suffering of some kind or another, especially at the hands of our fellow man. And most of the time it's the result of some senseless and sinful acts that are probably done for no valid reason or purpose. We need to remember not to compare our suffering to one another, just as we don't compare our sins. I mean, my suffering is no greater or less than anyone else here. And when we're going through these trials, we all feel that it's probably the worst possible suffering ever at that time. I remember during one of my military deployments, and I was, I was going to say fairly new, but I was kind of brand new. Um, in my beliefs, as well as my knowledge of the gospel. And I had some, some reading material out on a storage locker at the foot of my bed in the barracks. And it was, for the most part, it was Christian writings by Christian authors and even a few Bibles. And I'd put them there so that people could come and take them and read them and bring them back or even keep them if they, if they felt like it. It was up to them. And one day my platoon leader walks in and he goes, Hey, Jim, I need to talk to you. I've got to ask you to please take those, those books and stuff and put them away for me. He said, there's been a complaint. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, this is a military installation that we're on, and so we have to be concerned with the separation of church and state laws. Now, in that moment, I was, I was scared. I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I knew I had to make a choice. 
I knew that that was going to be a defining moment in my decision to follow the gospel. So I looked at him and I said, no. And I told him the reason why is you're using the separation of church and state laws wrong in this case. I said that law was written to make things fair. It was written to make it even across the board. I said, so what that means is I will put my stuff away when everybody else puts theirs away. All magazines, all reading materials, all posters, it has to be fair across the board. Everything that's out there needs to be put away. If we do that, then I'll do it. And I remember he looked at me and he goes, you're not going to make this easy, are you, Jim? <laughs> and I said, no, but I will make sure it's fair. And that was the end of it. I mean, there was nothing else. It, the material stayed there. People continued to come and, and take some. Some of them kept them. Some of them returned them. It wasn't a huge trial. There was nothing physically painful or even really overly emotionally stressful about it. But it was a trial. The suffering that our sin can impose on others, it's written in the history books. I mean, it's written here in the gospel. But so is the level of suffering that can be endured. We need only look to the cross to see what the suffering that can be attributed to man. Our sin against the gospel and what it means that Jesus endured it for us. He endured that till the end. Just look at what Paul endured. I mean, think about it. This guy, five times he received 40 lashes minus one. Like, wow, thanks, you just kept one back. <laughs> Three times he's beaten with rods. And once he's stoned, stoned. I mean, people stood there and threw rocks at him until they assumed he was dead. And three times he was even shipwrecked. How many times did you get shipwrecked before you decide, I'm not getting back on the ship? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But through it all, one thing is he stayed, he stayed true to the gospel and its truth. No, there's going to be suffering, and it's going to be internal as well as external. We're going to suffer inside ourselves when we have to watch others, friends, family, acquaintances suffer. Paul did. For many of us, and I know that I'm one, just hearing about Paul's suffering brings a certain level of discomfort to me. But when I have to read or speak or hear about the suffering at the cross, for me, it just binds me up inside. I mean, there's places in China where if you get caught with the Bible, if you get caught with the gospel, you can be beaten or jailed or worse. Do they surrender and give up? No, they don't. I mean, many times, most of them own individually only a small number of pages of the gospel. And then they memorize the sections that they have, and they do this so that when they get together, they have the entire gospel together in one place. And they do this because that allows them to share the gospel with new believers or non-believers. This kind of suffering is a little foreign to us here, especially at Living Stones. I mean, commonly, we tell people that visit us here, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take the one of the ones we have here and take it home with you. The entire Bible. 
We think about some of the internal suffering that just so many of the pastors go through just trying to prepare for a sermon. And it's not because we're afraid of doing or saying something that might embarrass us. Because I know that if I stand up here and talk long enough, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that's probably going to that's gonna embarrass me. Um, no, I mean, I mean, we suffer attack by the enemy because he doesn't want the gospel to be heard. Just as you're going to suffer when you're living and worshiping in the gospel yourselves, in your families, at work, in your community groups. And many times we know that these are just small little trials that come in the way of something that would otherwise probably mean nothing in our day-to-day lives. A couple dogs running through the house, barking and playing when you're just trying to put some notes on paper for your sermon. Cat that you haven't seen in three days (laughs) that decides it needs your undivided attention by walking across the keyboard right when you're deciding it's time to start typing notes up. Or two beautiful little toddlers who need help with a glass of water or milk or just can't find their favorite toy every 7.4 seconds <laughs> when you're just trying to be still and listen to God's guidance. Now, does this mean that God en- enjoys our pain or suffering <laughs> or takes pleasure from it? No, I hope not. But he does use it. Okay, He's, He knows that we're going to grow from this. He knows that we will become more resilient and that we will gain strength from it. We can and we should remember to use it ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. One of our core principles here at Living Stones is that we are called to be disciples making disciples. And as such, we need to be ready. We need to prepare ourselves to not only learn this and be ready for it ourselves, but we need to be ready to teach it to everyone that enters this church. We need to make sure that they are ready for these trials and tribulations. We need to empower the new disciples with the knowledge to truly follow Christ is to be ready to suffer for the gospel. It's not because of what we say. It's because of what the gospel represents. And Paul does this in chapters 14, or in verses 14, 15, and 16. So how, how do we do this? We need to make sure first that we're prepared. That we're prepared to suffer using the gospel or using the gospel as well as the power of God. And 2 Timothy 1.80 tells us, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And they're going to do this, we're going to do this, by concentrating on what it's worth knowing Jesus. We know what the power of knowing Jesus is, and we need to make sure that we share this early on with new believers as well as non-believers. We need to be sure that we make it known what the cost of discipleship really is. We need to share it. We need to share it like Jesus did, with love, firmly, fairly. We need to be honest and open about the challenges of following Christ while living through the trials brought on not only by other sin, but ours as well. 
Jesus isn't offering us some cozy life on a beach, okay? What he offers us is better than that. His gift is better than anything and everything that the secular world has to offer us. Everlasting peace versus nice car, decent house, winning fantasy football team. <laughs> I mean, when we think about the things that we're willing to suffer through, suffer for, I mean, I, I look back on my life and the things that I suffered through for nothing. And I have to think that if I could endure for that, then what can I endure for the gospel and what it has to offer me? We need to remember that it's the work of the Holy Spirit that's going to draw people in. It's not our ability to put together fancy words. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've got some great preachers here at Living Stones. We really do. But it doesn't matter if the service is full of bright packaging, great worship music, or the most articulate preacher that we've ever heard. If we're not preaching the gospel the way that God intended us to, then we're equipping nobody. God's going to use us where we are, and he's going to use the Holy Spirit through us for his glorification. Because in the end, that's where we need to be, glorifying God. We need to make sure we include all this information on the potential of suffering immediately and continually with new and non-believers. Because the last thing they need or we should want is for them to be caught off guard. One of the enemy's greatest tactics is to attack new believers immediately and to discourage their continued growth toward learning the truth. And that's the great love that Christ has for all of us. New and non-believers alike are going to be watching, and they're going to be listening to how we respond within our own suffering. They will be watching. So what does this include? We need to, we need to be ready to grow through our own trials and not compromise our integrity. We need to stand firm on where the Spirit leads us. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, an athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And we need to remember that. We need to work together as a team and we need to remember to look out for each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to keep the flock together in safety like a shepherd does with the sheep. We need to lean on each other. We need to stay in the gospel together. We correct each other and we accept correction when we need it. This is a great opportunity inside our community groups. It really is. To be involved because we know that they have, not only do they have the ability, but we're already doing it. We live and share in life together. The good and the bad. I mean, we lift each other up. We love each other. We strengthen each other. We live in the gospel together. And one of the tough ones is we need to remember to love our enemies. And more importantly, we need to pray for those who are going to persecute us. And I know that's hard. But I want to illustrate this, what it means. I want to tell you a story from my time in Iraq. And some of you that know me have heard this. When I was preparing to deploy, I'd learned through prayer that I was going to have to do this. I made a commitment to pray before every single mission. And God had put on my heart that praying for the enemy was going to have to be a part of it. And I fought that at first. It wasn't easy. I'm not going to lie. So a little background. 
mid to late 2004 and all through 2005, and I'm deploying for Operation Iraqi Freedom. And my job is going to be to operate a gun truck, which is simply a Humvee. They cut a hole in the roof, stick a couple of guns up there, and you drive around with convoys throughout the country providing them security. And in the end, it entailed a total of 46 combat-related missions and over 100,000 miles traveled in all. On multiple occasions, I visited places, Baghdad, Mosul, Fallujah, Tikrit. I even got to within sight of the borders of Turkey and Syria a couple of times. And I traveled weekly on what Time Magazine at that time had deemed the most dangerous highway in the world. Fifteen years ago, I still remember Sword Vernon Interchange. That was our name for it. Now back to what I said earlier about them watching us. The first time I prayed, I invited anyone who wanted to participate to join me. And I was alone that first time, or so I thought. Because inside a month, it looked more like this. Now that part was short, and it was pretty simple. It was like this. Lord, we come to you as friends and family with heads bowed to give praise and glory to you, Lord. We ask that you be with us as we go about our mission. We ask that you keep us safe and you hear our prayers. We also ask that you turn your eyes and your ears from the prayers of our enemy, that you not allow them the chance to defeat us. We ask you also, Lord, to be with our enemy and their families, that you let them know a night of safety and peace and one without fear or pain. We simply ask you allow us to pass unnoticed and safe, Lord. That's all it was, short and simple. But as time went by, people started to notice that, that our group, unlike others, would almost always travel unscathed and untested. And I say almost. Because there were several times that we didn't do this prayer. There were times that high echelon personnel simply didn't allow it. But if, if I'm being honest up here, for the most part, it was because we changed it. Because I changed it. I gave into the peer pressures of being warriors. We wanted to our metal tested. We wanted to be able to go out there and face the enemy and be victorious. And every time I changed it, we got what we asked for. But before long, it came clear that something was protecting me as well as, as my fellow warriors, as I'll call them. And there were those there that would try to break up our group. There were just as many that were trying to join it. We weren't better than the others. I'll say that to be nice. But what we were is we were righteous in our prayer life. We weren't free of sin, that's for sure. But we were protected and we knew it. We felt and we saw it. And I know in my heart to this very day that it's not because I was a better Christian or that I was more skilled at my job. No, it's simply because I prayed for the enemy. I was obedient and I prayed for those that would persecute me. And I know this because God brought us home. Now, a lot of people thought we were just lucky that we just, you know, happened to be in the right places at the right time. But I got to tell you, we drove a route. I remember one chilly and dark evening. And it was just, it was pitch black that night. And prior to leaving, I had to go in and get an intel intelligence brief 
from the Intel chief that would kind of give us an idea of what's going on. And when I walked in and said, this is our destination, this is the route we're assigned, I remember him going like that. And I was like, whoa, what's wrong? And he, and he looked at me and he said, you guys are driving straight into hell. He said, everybody that's gone in there and come out in the last two weeks has been hit and been hit hard. But not us. Minus the stress of what was going on and doing it, it was like a quiet drive through the wilderness for us. One night we drove a closed route. And what that means is they would routinely close routes of travel off once they felt that the enemy was getting to know our timing and our tactics. And they would switch everything to a different route. Somehow one night we got out on the route that was already closed, which meant we were the only ones that were going to be out there. There was literally no one else around. We had no air support, no medical support, nothing. There was no one else there. We were on our own. And it turned out to be one of the calmest and quietest trips the whole year for us. One day we pulled into a, a small marine base, and we had passed by this probably this point several dozen times we'd never been that just hadn't been one of our destinations we had driven by it on the highway and when I pulled in it was the trip itself was a little unnerving in that my crew that was in my vehicle were not with me on this trip they were they were in the back in the rear um, base because of some injuries and some illnesses and I swayed so all new people so I was already a little off or a little nervous and I remember the guy that met us at the gate as we were pulling in. He looked at me and he said, how did you get in here? I was like, what do you mean, dude? We just drove right in off the highway. And he walks around the side of my truck and he looks out and he calls me over and I walk over and he points out and he goes, no, how did you get in here? And I look out on the highway and there are literally mines, IEDs, sitting across the highway. And he said that the area is closed because we're waiting for ordinance personnel to come in and clear it. Nobody can get in or out. Somehow we drove four Humvees, 17 tractor trailers, over 40 people. We drove over them, not just without setting them off, we never saw them. Amen. And these are just a few of the examples that I have from that time, what I would call suffering and trials. No, no one's ever going to convince me that God wasn't with us on those missions. No one is ever going to tell me the power of the gospel is limited. But this also means, means that we're going to need to turn away from revenge when we're wronged. And I know this is hard. It's a tough one. It is to me, for me. To this day, if I think that my family is in danger, I mean, my first instinct is to go back to that warrior mode. And it's not that protecting ourselves or our family is wrong. But it's not up to us to judge. It's not up to us to pass that judgment. And in Romans 12, 17, it tells us, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Yeah, I know it's hard. We need to do it. We need to teach it. We need to use our time of suffering to help comfort others. We need to help the new believers, Lord, to do the same thing. We need to trust the Lord during the times of suffering. Because we may not know the reasons for the trials while we're going through them. Hopefully we know at the end, but there's no guarantee that we're even going to know after we've gone through. 
When we're suffering, it's going to give us an opportunity to comfort others. And when we're suffering, it's a chance to show what trust in the Lord can look like. It's how to respond, how to glorify God. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to rejoice. I know that's hard, but we need to rejoice as we share in our sufferings. Because like I said, we may not know the final outcome, but one thing's for sure, God is going to use it for his glory. We've got a guy in our community group who routinely, not always, but I should say most of the time probably, during prayer requests, he simply says, I am too blessed to be stressed. Man. And I don't know how many times I've sat there and thought, man, how do I get there? But I realized this week, many times the stress, what I think is the stress, is actually a blessing. It's my selfishness of what's really causing the suffering. I mean, I've got two beautiful little girls that give me an opportunity to help a whole new generation hear and live in the gospel. I've got a teenager, if I survive. <laughs> Man, amen. That I can maybe help grow into a God-fearing adult and a teacher of a new generation. I've got a wife that I love, that I know loves me. Even when she, even when I make her crazy. <laughs> yeah. Even when I make her crazy. But I wasn't always in this place. And it, it took me time and experience to realize that we need to remember to use our trials to help each other grow. When we're suffering for the gospel, we're really growing for the gospel. When I was preparing to originally deploy and, and leave country to go to Iraq, I was probably about three days out from leaving, and I got a call from my oldest son, Christian. And he was scared and upset because he'd been taken out of the home that he was living with his mother in and put into foster care. And by Virginia law at the time, they had what they called a two-week settle-in process, which meant he could call and tell me that he was okay initially, but he could not tell me where he was at or how to contact him for at least two weeks. And I knew going into this, I thought, in two weeks, I am either going to already be there or I'm going to be well on my way there. And I'm not going to have an opportunity to probably contact him even when it's allowed. And I spent so many sleepless hours fighting with the Lord over this one. A lot of, a lot of late hours in my backyard in the dark having angry and difficult conversations with God. But through it, one thing came to me and it forced me to shut up and just be calm and to take it as it came. That's 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And his glory was revealed. I mean, it worked out for the best. It really did. It was the best for him, and it worked out the best for me. There was no way that I was going to be able to provide for him what he needed while I was gone anyways. It wasn't going to happen. But as it turned out, he was placed in the home of a young man who was actually a psychiatric nurse who specialized in working with kids. He was a kind, caring man who could and was willing to give up his time 
for my son and what he needed. No, we don't do this because we enjoy pain and suffering. We do it simply because, like Paul knew, Jesus is worth it. Staying true to the gospel and not the word of man is worth it. Trials are temporary and they can't compare with what awaits. And Paul sees this in the Thessalonians church body. He encourages their perseverance through the tough times, the ridicule, the tribulation, both the internal as well as the external suffering. We need to do the same. We need to remember the glory that awaits us. So what do we do when the suffering comes and we don't think we can bear it any longer? I don't know. Wives, when you think your husband's never going to listen? Husbands, when you think your wife's never going to understand football? Jeez, parents, when you think your kids have lost their minds? Just remember, they probably think the same about us. No, so when these trials and tribulations descend on us, we need to remember where our strength to endure actually comes from. We need to keep our allegiance to the Lord. We need to endure and we need to live in and through our sufferings with each other, like the family that we really are. We need to help our neighbors here in the city as they fight their own trials. And each of us know that there's someone in our circle of life, in our family, in our community groups, and places we work, that are struggling simply because of their belief in the gospel. Whether it's ridicule at work for their beliefs, discouragement by other family members, or even a non-believing spouse. It can be something you consider small, but it can be something that you consider large and heartbreaking. We need to encourage each other to persevere, and we need to keep on keeping on. We need to be strong in prayer, and we need to be encouraged at what is to come. We need to remember where to turn. We need to turn to each other. We need to turn to the gospel, because this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time to come together for and in your word and to glorify you. Keep our hearts true as we struggle through our sufferings and help us to help each other to endure and persevere. Thank you for the gospel and thank you for our family here. Thank you, Lord, for our trials and more importantly, thank you for the strength and courage to persevere. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.